everyone, I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher. My co-host Kathy King and I want to welcome you to Writing Works Wonders. We want you to feel encouraged and inspired and know the wonder of writing. We are so glad you're here with us. Thank you for joining us for another episode of Writing Works Wonders. Hi everybody. Welcome to Writing Works Wonders. I'm Cheryl McNeil Fisher, and I'm here with my co-host, Kathy King, and we are introducing our first open mic poetry event. And we have a lineup of some wonderful talent. We are going to be putting all the bios and information up on our website. We'll repeat that again at the end. But right now, I'm just going to turn it over to Kathy. Hi there. This is an exciting day, isn't it? Sure We've is. been waiting for this, our inaugural open mic poetry reading. We've been sending the word out far and wide that Writing Works Wonders was holding an open mic for poetry, and people have responded. So we're very excited to begin our poetry reading. Welcome to everybody. We have a good group gathered together to celebrate poetry today. And our first person to share poetry is somebody well-known to Writing Works Wonders, Abby Johnson-Taylor, and then we have Zeeb, and then we have J.L. Espinal. I'm Abby Johnson-Taylor, and I would like to share three poems with you today. The first one is what you might call percussive poetry, and I don't know if you'll hear the foot stomping involved in this, but I hope you do. This is called Dad, Fats, and Me. As the piano's bass notes imitate baby elephant patter. I stomp my six-year-old feet in time. In his armchair across from me, dad looks up from his book, chuckles. As Fats Waller sings no praises to a woman's oversized feet, I stand, stomp around the den, up in Harlem at a table for two, there were three of us, me, your big feet, and you. Dad sings along. Where'd you get them? I giggle. As the song crescendos with blaring saxophone and trumpet, I lift my feet, bring them to the floor with purpose. Come on and walk that thing. Oh, mercy, I've never heard of such walking. Mercy. The record has other songs. The joint is jumping. It's really jumping. Come in, cat, and check your hat. I say this joint is jumping. Hold tight, hold tight, hold tight, hold tight. Brakataka want some seafood, mama. But my next feet, or, or but, but my little feet, always stomp in time whenever I hear Fats say, oh, your feet's too big. Don't want you because your feet's too big. Can't use you because your feet's too big. I really hate you because your feet's too big. And the next poem I'd like to share is called Cribbage 1971. Nine in a crib, oh boy, Grammy says, gazing at her hand. You wouldn't know a crib from a rattlesnake, Granddad quips. Now, sir, I've raised three children. I should know what a crib is. In the summer morning heat, they sit 
at their kitchen table, deal, shuffle, count, peg. My 10-year-old brain doesn't understand the game, but mesmerized, I watch as they play, banter, play some more. Years have passed since those Colorado summer mornings. Grammy and granddad are both gone. They smile down on my family and me from their cribbage table in the sky. And the last poem I'll share with you today is called, I'm a Star. At the age of 13, I stand on the front porch, a piece of wood to my lips, sing while my brother goes rat-tat-tat on an empty paint can. Please, Mr. Please, don't play B-17. It was his song, it was his song, but it's over. The air rings with applause. You light up my life. You give me hope to carry on. More applause. I'd rather be a sparrow than a snail. Yes, I would. If I could, I surely would. The crowd is on its feet. With a bow, I take my leave. Thank you. Thank you, Abby. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Thank you. My name is Zeb, and I'm going to read three poems. The first one is called Wedge. They tell me I'm lucky. I have a window. And out that window, behind the wall of the adjacent building, under the hang of the eave, I can see a wedge of sky. I remember hearing the story of the birdman of Alcatraz who kept his sanity by feeding a bird. Or the Jew cramped for years in a tiny dark crawl space who held on by befriending a rat. And so it is with me. I cling to my wedge of sky, the lavender of daybreak, the blue or gray of noonday, a flash of orange at sunset, and the night, ha, the night. I can see God out there among the pinpricks of light. Somehow that great being has squeezed himself in all his entirety into that small dark wedge. He talks to me when no one else will. And through that wedge of light and dark, I live. This is called Cookie Fortune. You say the cookies give you guidance. You say that when you got the one that said, a great adventure lies before you, you booked a trip to an exotic land. When you got great wealth will be yours, you bought tech stocks and pharmaceuticals. The one that read your romantic life will be bright got you dating again and now you're two years into wedded bliss. Who is operating here? Who pulls the strings? Would you have done anything without those pithy prognostications? How did you know that love comes from unexpected sources meant you should get him a caw? Or wisdom is the reward of discipline meant that you should start a meditation practice? It's crazy to rely on mass-produced platitudes to direct your life, yet you say nothing is random. The messages you get are clear and clearly meant for you. Surely this is preposterous. 
Like when you got Love Given is Love Amplified, you quit your corporate job and started working for that nonprofit. You say you've never been happier, but really, surely you must see this is no way to run a life, to take your decisions from cookies. You must become the master of your destiny, the captain of your ship. You can't do 180 turns like you did when you left your rent-controlled apartment to buy a house in the country just because you got a fortune that said, man's happiness grows from plants. Or become pregnant when you got a cookie that said, a prosperous future depends on today's dependence. When I tell you my objections, you shrug. When I point out the dangers of basing your life on chance, you chuckle. And when you got the one that said, an associate does not have your best interest at heart, you cut me out of your life. This last one is called, enough all this worrying. Enough all this worrying. We are past the point of no return. The oceans are filled with trash. The rivers stink with industrial waste. How many deaths in Flint? or Botswana. Enough all this worrying. A hundred species each day flee the planet forever. Perhaps they know when the going is good. As for you and me, we watch wrenched with anguish at the sight of a polar bear drowning. So we dutifully recycle and reuse, earnestly believing our efforts will close the ozone hole or save the rainforest. Enough all this worrying. Nero was cast as a heartless despot, fiddling while Rome was ablaze, but what really could he have done? Why not fiddle and play while the earth implodes? Did we think our marches and petitions would stop Nestle or Exxon or Monsanto? Come, play with me. Let us picnic on the reclaimed landfill. Enjoy the smog-filtered sun and toxic breezes. Come play, my love. Come play. Enough, all this worrying. It's called acceptance existence. Come to me and take my outstretched hands. Let me know you are there. Let me know of your warm existence. Open my hands and unfurl my fingers. Please let my thoughts flow like untrapped from with untrapped um, sand from within them. And I will share that is what is in me. Let our thoughts connect like the ocean's beautiful waves back and forth, back and forth, always flowing in harmonious beauty. But you turn your back on me and you say you can't do it, but it's really because you won't. And I understand. You don't understand and you won't try because I'm not enough for you. Your hands are clenched and fisted and hidden where I can't find them. So your mind is closed to me and you, I don't know you are there. A cold existence in a world of cold existences. It's really truly okay because there's always another, another warmth willing to unfurl my clenched fingers to get the thoughts from within them, willing to let the ocean flow back and forth, back and forth, letting me know of their existence, letting me know that I am enough, that they understand that the only way I can survive is to feel their warmth in a world 
of cold existences. Thank you. Okay, next we have Cache Wells, Antia Petta, Marlene Misat. This is Cache, and the first one that I'll be reading is I Am More. So often from day to day, like a cold winter's breeze or alone on a hot summer's day, we sit and we wonder, do we really matter? Or is it just something that they seem to say? Like fallen leaves in October, we are a large community of all various abilities, yet instead of seeing us for who we really are, they only see us for what we're missing. Clear skies, green grass, and bright lights of great visions that seem to replay themselves in our heads because we remember from yesterday or from what we've just imagined them to be. No one ever asks or think to consider all the many great things that we can do, all because their eyes are fixed on that in which they think we can't. However, I say to myself continually, it's their loss and not mine, I say. I'm more than my eyes. I'm more than that of which I lack, you see. We are an active and vibrant group of individuals just able differently, set on a course to show the world that we are still a valuable entity, a family full of energy that advocates, teach, write, sing, dance, and even bowl from time to time, you see. From fishing to swimming, debating and reading all about humanity as we take the steps to advocate for blindness and that of the white cane safety. It's one thing to be bound by ignorant thinking of people or anything that keeps you from being restricted. However, it's another to allow it to restrict you from living your best life. Every day, we choose to rise up not from a stance of what we are not able to do, but rising to be our better self, however it may look or be for you. Helping others to get a glimpse of the many abilities that we as a blind, visually impaired or low vision person can accomplish when we are looked upon as individuals with many abilities to do for ourselves with independence and self-reliance. We we, yes, we, we win. And advocacy always, always win. The second one that I will read is called Chosen. They say everybody has a choice, the right to choose, act, or decide between two possibilities, the God-given birthright to say yes or no. I will or I won't, to do or to don't. We are so accustomed to celebrating the choices that seem to be ones that move us forward and put us on a path anew for you and me. It's the new ending. Each choice has a consequence and will spring forth a life of its own. You can even choose to see the beauty of hope of life and of prosperity many choices. You can choose to see the good and bad of a person, their worth, their value, of the work you do or don't see. 
yet no one ever asks what happens when blindness has chosen. I say chosen you. That's the story of my life. The next poem that I will read is called Remembering Me. This one is a more personal one for me because it reminds me that even without vision, I still have the sight to remember who I am and what I look like. Remembering me from the high rise of each brow to the slightest curve of my lips, the sheen and glow of that melanin that illuminates the soul for I'm not just two brown vessels of light from which we used to see, but I'm a total package of life, love and laughter. Yes, that's me. Diminished down to an inability, one of not my own choosing, all while facing a battle that seems I am yet losing. Losing control of what happens and the rate at which it wins, trying so hard to hold on to that in which we think we can't depend. Yes, remembering me, the person I once was and whom I am always evolving to be not just identified by those two vessels of light which causes us to see. I am more than that, if you're open enough to believe. Not everything is actually what is before you or that in which you perceive, for I am remembering me. Beautiful and smart, creative and yet confident, a human being, but most importantly, a loving soul with an open heart. Guarded because of the very woes in this life is brought, however, very transparent to share all she's learned, which includes some things she is and some things she's not. Standing in confidence that everything her experiences have taught, you see, she is remembering me. Full of hope and desire, piercing out into the abyss of life like fire, running circles in their space like sweet kisses all among my face. It's not about how much time you have here on this earth, but instead what you yield of yourself from the days of your birth, impacting others through the mindset that nothing will stop you. This was God's gift to me. And even in the midst of challenges, he assured me that I wasn't through having more life to give of myself and more life to give before death, never giving way to anything that comes to hinder me, and not to focus on anything that has been taken from me, remembering me to intentionally be ever present in every moment, in every minute, on every day, for this is my purpose. His ultimate plan that I can agree, remembering me more than the brown skin that catches attention around every bend, greater than the sexiness of this temple which I live in, more valuable, yes, more than the pleasures of these lips, hips, and tips can bring. Walking in the confidence not in which came from any ability to see, just living my truth to be uniquely me, standing face to face with the mirror, remembering me, remembering me, poem. Thank you so much, Catherine. And Chepeta? I'll be reading three poems. The first one is titled, Cat and Dog. You placed a friend below the frost to join another recent loss. They share a marker and a space. 
in your heart that no other can replace. One was rescued, her spirit defined by her family, both human and animal kind. When you needed comfort, she became the first one to ease your pain. Then came the golden boy, a wriggling, fluffy pup of absolute joy. His bloodline cost a leg and a hand, but when he pranced, he looked just grand. His light reddish coat matched your hair. You made an attractive pair. Just knowing he was there waiting for you made a tough day easier to get through. Cat and canine, named Amber and Einstein, cherished, remembered, missed. It's dedicated to my sister's family and their animals. Second poem is a haiku, and technically haiku don't need to be titled, but this one's called Pooh Haiku. Brown nuggets drop from dog to snow, hidden in white, lost until spring thaw, the end. My third poem is called In Those Dark Moments. In those dark moments, when eyesight doesn't matter, where light burns and stars stay undiscovered, the grip of the handle eases the panic like a mother's hand. Warm nose finds the way down the hall, up the stairs, into the store. Like the familiar sounds of morning, the light click of toenails on tile floor reassures. I grip the handle and follow. The soft jingle of leather and brass and faint canine scent conveys that in those darkest moments, I am not alone. Thank you for reading. This is Marlene Massat. I have three poems about dogs. All dogs love attention. Dare I forget to mention that all dogs love attention. They will step on your toes and nip at your nose. They will lick at your hand and sit where you stand. They will sit on your foot and give you that look. They will swipe with a paw and leave you in awe. With a swat of their tails as they walk clicking their nails, they will give you a nudge, try to get you to budge. They will sit thumping tails until you give in to what ails. They will get in your way and get you to say, leave me alone, go away, until they get their own way. Poor pet. Limerick. Feelings that I could not hide, knew I had to go outside, pacing on the floor, scratching at the door. Maybe I should run and hide. Silent communication, ballad. I got up to go to the kitchen. My dog shadowed me as if on a mission. I shuffled to the refrigerator door, all the while eyeing his dishes on the floor. 
his big head watched every move as from the refrigerator I took out food. I set leftover lasagna in the microwave to cook. His big eyes gave me that look. I pointed toward his kibble in the corner where it sat. He glanced over and then he turned back. His nostrils widened as he took a breath to inhale the tantalizing aroma of my meal without fail. Sit here and be good is what I said as I shuffled to the table while patting his head. He whined a little as I sat myself down, so I turned my head to have a look around. I sighed, stood, and approached his bowl. His food dish was full, but water was not cold. Picking up the bowl, I headed to the sink. He cocked his head as if trying to think. I ran cold water and let it run free. I rinsed and filled his bowl with ease. Happily now, he trotted by my side. Back at the table, I listened to his slurping and sighed. Thank you very much, and Thank you so much, Anne. That was great. Thank you. What great readings we've had. Our next three readers are Barbara Willette, Christine Diaz, and Nancy Davis. It's actually four haiku, but together they're a little anthology, an ode to Frankie, the puppy that my husband and I just raised. It's called Color Me Guide Dog. Ebony lover, lively wiggling charmer, settles down to please. Taste crazed rosebud tongue, wet, warm, sensing sponge, kissing addicted. Glistening silver, powerful sinew and grace, dance to kibble beat. Faithful guide, sharing journey's freedom through watchful golden eyes. Thank you. Thank you, Barbara. Christine? Okay, the first one I'm going to read is called The Day I Heard the Church Bells Ring. The day I heard the church bells ring, my heart it jumped for joy. For on that day, I knew that there would be love for every girl and boy. The day I heard the church bells ring, a smile spread across my face. As I stood there in deep thought, I could feel the Lord's warm embrace. The day I heard the church bells ring, my soul sang with delight. A peaceful calm came over me, and then I saw the light. The day I heard the church bells ring, I said, my Lord, take everything. Please give me peace and happiness bring. The day I heard the church bells ring. Next poem is By the Sound of Your Voice. 
By the sound of your voice, you choose to lead me. Through life's path, you know the way. Always keeping me by your side and never letting me go astray. If by chance I do stay stray from you, and it seems I've lost my way, you are there to call me back when I am alone, and to you I pray. Through me you have, you are there to call me back when I am alone, and to you I pray. You bring me to those who need your love and your warm embrace. Through me, you have shown them care and helped them find their place. By the sound of your voice, I sing of your love. I write of it and also I pray that you will lead me closer to you in your loving arms, I want to stay. By the sound of my voice, that's it, thank you. Go ahead, Nancy. Happy to be here. I hail from Los Gatos, California, which is near San Jose. I'm reading one poem about attachment and how when people or things become lost, you're freed from attachment, albeit not by choice, and in that is new life, rebirth, a fresh clean slate and creativity. Finders keepers, losers weepers. When I weep, I find things more precious, not the shiny kind. Finders keepers, losers weepers, rather weep than own, the kind of thing that makes me feel alone. Finders keepers, losers weepers, need to weep sometimes. Because everything cannot be kept. What's lost, you may not find. Finders keepers, losers weepers, is all right with me. Weeping cleans my eyes so I can finally see. Thank you. I'm going to name off three so you can all get ready. We have Mary Highland, Valerie Rice Lerman, Karen Hughes, if you're here, we have Annie Davis. Okay, this is Mary, and the title of the first of two poems is Peace. To breathe in air that is light and clean, free from the burdens of guilt, to leave behind the anguish of what has been and not to worry about what is next. To feel the coolness of quiet and the warmth of acceptance. To be a note in a harmonious chord. To sing in solitary joy. To look deep and deeper into the blueness of sky, seeing God for the first time, discovering truth like a treasure and knowing it is forever. The second is, it is a 91 word memoir and it's titled, My Mother Lives. I frowned at the plaque 
Mirror, mirror on the wall, I am my mother after all. Not so funny anymore, now that she's old and cranky and mad at the world. Is that what I will become? Would I forget the loving and the laughter? Yesterday, as I cleared the plates from a light lunch, I heard myself quoting my younger mother. That's the last big meal I'm cooking today. Yes, now and then, I will remember the funny things she said. I smiled. It felt good. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you for letting me participate. <laughs> yeah, we're glad you're here, Mary. This is Annie. I am here. There you go. Hello, Miss Annie. Hi, it's lovely to be here. So I have three that I'm going to share. Way that it's going to make sense. It's This one's going to be a little then and now. So I'm first going to read True Love by Judith Bjorst. And then I will follow it up with my response, my take on the true love concept. It is true love because I put on eyeliner and a concerto and make pungent observations about the great issues of the day, even when there's no one else but him. And because I do not resent watching the Green Bay Packers, even though I am philosophically opposed to football. And because when he is late for dinner and I know he must be either having an affair or lying dead in the middle of the street, I always hope he's dead. It's true love because if he said, quit drinking martinis, but I kept drinking them and the next morning I couldn't get out of bed, he wouldn't tell me he told me. And because he is willing to wear under ironed undershorts out of respect for the fact that I am philosophically opposed to ironing. And because if his mother was drowning and I was drowning, he had to choose one of us to save, he says he'd save me. It's true love because when he went to San Francisco on business while I had to stay home with the painters and the exterminator and the baby who was getting the chicken pox, he understood why I hated him. And because when I said that playing the stock market was juvenile and irresponsible and the stock that I wouldn't let him buy went up 26 points, I understood why he hated me. And because despite cigarette cough, tooth decay, acid in digestion, dandruff, and other features of married life that tend to dampen the fires of passion, we still feel something we can call true love. So that was True Love by Judith Fjorst. And now here is my true love. And for the record, this is my husband's 50th birthday. And next week we are celebrating our five-year wedding anniversary. So how timely. It is true love because neither one of us can see each other and consequently we don't concern ourselves with what we look like. So I could be wearing my oldest, most worn down jeans and t-shirt. My hair is messy as an old rag mop, like the old song, and he'd still think I'm beautiful. And he could be walking wildly in his underwear, his face as rough as sandpaper or dressed in an old polo shirt from high school. I'd still think he's beautiful. It's true love because I can be up at 6 a.m. singing songs that are stuck in my head, 
even though I know he'd rather sleep in, and even though he'd rather I be quiet, he'd leave it alone rather than try to shut me up and spoil my good spirits. It is true love because I always look forward to watching the Ohio State-Michigan game once a year, even though I am not a fan of football. And because he can listen to the Spice Girls with a sincere smile, even though he is neither a fan of them nor much of the opera and theater music I play on my Pandora, but he knows I am. And because I can eat my chicken sausages and he can eat his beef sausages. And although our tastes are somewhat different, we still have a romantic dinner. It's true love because we don't try to change each other. We just work hard at changing ourselves. And even after five long years of married life, and uh, he's still the reason I say ain't love grand. Yeah, finally, I have the peach poem, and this happens to be one of my mom's favorite poems I've ever written. Howdy, partners in his eye, the pretty peach, pristine and perfectly polished, fresh from Georgia. So you say I am soft and smooth as a sweet baby's head? How profoundly perceptive. Perhaps you perceive me as more precious than a plum, possibly purer than a pear? Isn't that just peachy, you proclaim. What a pear we are. So you say there's a song pretty popular in 1996, and I'm showing my age, performed by the presidents of the United States. How preposterous. Moving to the country, gonna eat a lot of peaches. I find that a fairly flattering phrase, but I do not come from a can like those that were put there by a man in a factory downtown. For shame. My purpose is to provide pleasure for your palate, pureness to your pie, and deliciousness to the other decadent desserts in which you wish to indulge. This I could not do if I came from a can, as a canned peach can't compare to me. I am the peach, the brightest and most beautiful of the bunch. On this, you can bet your banana. So I am flattered that you've chosen me to fulfill your fruitful fix. And now we must part. And until we meet again, may your life be perfectly peachy. Thank you. Thank you, Annie. Thank you for all for being with us today. Be sure to visit our website at writingworkswonders.com. You'll be able to access the show notes and information about our poetry readers mentioned in this episode, the recording and an archive of all episodes and writing resources as well. You can also sign up for announcements so you won't miss any episodes of this podcast, including bonus episodes. So click subscribe on the website to receive free email alerts. Let's get social. You can follow and engage with Writing Works Wonders on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Finally, if you have any questions or suggestions, you can reach us through email at writingworkspodcast at gmail.com. And until next time, we encourage you to keep on writing and enjoying the wonder it brings. And next week, we're going to have roundtable with some of the poets that have been on here with us today. And we're going to be talking about chapbooks and how chapbooks get started, how chapbooks can be a calling card for you and a beginning for publishing, how you can do it, they're, how they're affordable. Come and join us next week, too. We'll always taking suggestions. And in two weeks, we have Patrick Taylor, the author of the Irish Country Doctor series, and there are many of his books available on Bard. 
Thank you. Kathy's very excited about that one as well. <laughs> <laughs> yes, and we chat books. Yes, chat books. We... Who knew? I knew nothing about <laughs> chat books. This is going to be exciting next week. Thank you for joining us today. Writing Works Wonders. Kathy and I are thrilled to spend time with you. Now tap on that button that says subscribe so you will not miss our show. We also have a donate button, and that's to help with the expenses that Kathy and I incur in order to keep this show and podcast going. There's a link there that you can tap on that will take you directly to our website at www.writingworkswonders.com. There you will find all the information we talked about today along with show notes and so much more. We want you to feel encouraged and inspired to know the wonder of writing. And until next time, our friends, keep on writing. Opinions expressed on ACB Radio are those of the respective program contributors and do not necessarily reflect views held by the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff.